Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, December 31st, 2012. Today we're reading from the big book. You'll find us in Chapter 7, Working with Others, on page 90, the very last paragraph, beginning with, If He Does Not Want to See You. Today's readers are Penny E., Judy B., Fran, and Carol P. The share code for yesterday's meeting, that's Sunday, December 30th, 3595. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois, a compulsive overeater recovered from Massachusetts. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Eleven, uh, Twelve, ha- having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you. I will now call on Rebecca to read the Twelve Traditions. Good morning. This is Rebecca S. from Connecticut, a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Our common welfare should come first, number one. Our 
come and welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're in Chapter 7, Working with Others, on page 90. The last paragraph, it's, He Does Not Want to See You. Never force yourself upon him. And I will ask Penny E. to begin reading, please. Penny E., press star one to unmute, please. Can you hear me, Leah? Yes. Penny E., press star one to unmute. Okay. 
Judy B., might you be available to read? Yes. This is Judy B., uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. If he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. Neither should the family hysterically plead with him to do anything, nor should they tell him much about you. They should wait for the end of his drinking bout. You might place this book where he can see it in the interval. Here no specific rule can be given. The family must decide these things, but urge them not to be over-anxious, for that might spoil matters. Wow. Um, no specific rules can be given. I think that's uh, something to remember. Um, I've found actually with other compulsive overeaters that I usually um, meet them through the meetings or through the phone and um, and and not through a, 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 a doctor's office or something. But um, it, it depends on the situation, and we can be we can be helpful where no one else can. Um, if it's not the right time and the family is insisting, then that's that's not something we we can go along with. Um, it's important that we realize our our main function is to be helpful, and that to another compulsive overeater, um, we can do that because uh, the um, the newcomer or the uh, the new person may uh, identify with what we are able to describe and what we're able to talk about. Um, And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Melanie, compulsive overeater. Go ahead, Mel. Hi, good morning. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I wanted to talk about what this means to me and and uh, hit several points here. That first, the idea that comes to me is um, this frothy emotional appeal that we read in the doctor's opinion. That's what occurs to me here in this situation. And also, um, when I read this, I think about God's timing and not my timing. I have a tendency to become very overzealous when I am um, on some sort of a uh, kick, and this is not a kick, of course, but when I'm in that place, I get very overzealous. And what I've learned here is to is to temper that, and that John Barleycorn itself himself will be the one that's supposed to convince this person. And I can ruin that idea if I come across um, oh self righteous or or having the answer or the only way kind of thing. Um, especially if if my prospect, my person, my friend, my co-sufferer is, in fact, still on the food. You know, that's a very tender, delicate time, I I think. Certainly um, sharing what I know and letting the the spiritual process, the spiritual journey of their higher power um, do the work. The timing is not mine. Certainly the outcome is not mine. And anxiousness and pressure I have found in in many walks of my life, even though I still indulge in it, (laughs) has uh, never brought about you know, much in the way of of fruitfulness in these situations, for sure. It's a caution to families. It's a caution to me that this is a program of attraction. And um, I heard some words yesterday with the speaker, and there was a lot of talk around the best thing that I could possibly do is recover, recover, recover. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. 
Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Penny E. returned from the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> Welcome to you, Penny. Thank you so much. Um, again, clear-cut directions. Clear-cut directions. It's, uh, this is such a, a, a treasure chest of information here for us. Uh, we're talking, of course, on the 12th step. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So on the first page of, of this chapter, it says um, that you can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. You can help when no one else can. And I just keep thinking of a, of a um, phrase that I've heard in, in OA, and I love it, and that is, for someone who understands, no explanation is necessary. For someone who doesn't understand, no explanation is possible. And I remember going to doctors and therapists and pediatricians, and they all were giving me ideas on how to get the fat off my body. But it wasn't until I came into Overeaters Anonymous and spoke to somebody who'd been there, who'd done it, who, who'd un, who understood about taking the food out of the trash, you know, wiping off the junk, washing it off and eating it. They could understand that. And um, that's, that's the gift. That is the gift. The other thing that comes to mind for me when I read this is that um, I really don't have to make any decisions. Uh, God is in charge of this. God is in charge of the still-suffering compulsive overeater that I want to help, that his family wants to help. God is in charge of me. And uh, I will know. I, I really believe I will know intuitively if it's the right time, if it's not the right time. Uh, I don't really have to worry about that. And um, just very grateful, 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 grateful. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Penny. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? My name's Leah. I'll comment on this. You know, of course, we're we're in Chapter 7, working with others related to Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So I'm reminded when I read this first sentence here, if he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. We tried. <laughs> we tried to carry this message. You know, it isn't a question of compulsive overeaters giving me anything or responding to me in any particular way. My stability, my stability comes out of trying to give, trying to carry this message, not out of demanding that I receive. So if he's not ready, he's not ready. It says they should wait for the end of his next drinking bout. You know, pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. That was absolutely true for me. It didn't matter that my parents were concerned with my obesity. It didn't matter that the physicians pleaded with me or that, you know, perhaps my friends wished I was taking better care of myself. That was all good and nice, you know what I mean? But the bottom line was I still wanted my food. I still felt thought that, you know, digging my disc, my fists into those uh, bags and boxes, uh, you know, was the solution. And, and 
There was no moving me until the pain got so great that the pain of overeating was becoming greater than the idea of the pain of not overeating. And then I, when I was, and then I was ready. You know, when I had been beaten into a bloody pulp, that's it, mangled. The big book tells me, it says we had to be beaten into a state of reasonableness. And that was absolutely true for me. I don't know about your disease. I can certainly tell you about mine. It took until that pain was just so great. It doesn't matter whether other people were pained by my situation and my condition. It depended on, was I pained about it? Was I in pain about it? And then I was ready to throw in the towel and to ask for help, to cry for help, cry out for help. With that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning. It's Rick. Hi, Rick. Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a compulsive overeater. Neither should the family hysterically plead with him to do anything. And uh, that brings me back to the doctor's opinion. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. Um, the message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. So what they're doing here in this chapter is they're telling us how to bring that message, how to carry a message with depth and weight. And they're, In this paragraph, they're telling the family not to plead with them, and that's part of it. The family, you know... How many times did our families plead with us to lose weight, um, you know, telling us that uh, uh, please don't eat so much, uh, you'll feel better, um, um, don't kill yourself, all those things. We, we heard it. We heard it over and over again. And so, too, did the alcoholic that they're, they're talking about, the typical alcoholic. So they, they're giving caution to the person who is approaching the newcomer, and uh, they're giving caution to the family who has made contact with the recovered person, and they're laying out the ground groundwork of how to approach these people without without going overboard. And you know they they caution that you can spoil it, you can lose this person if you don't have an approach <clears throat> that uh, that 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 takes a uh, a very careful and forward momentum rather than just um, going going crazy at the beginning. So uh, that's what they're going to be talking about in the next few paragraphs, how to approach this man without uh, spoiling the possibility. I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thank you, Rick. Let's move on to the next paragraph. Penny E., are you available to read, please? Yes, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. Usually the family should not try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. Approach through a doctor or an institution is a better bet. If your man needs hospitalization, he should have it, but not forcibly unless he is violent. Let the doctor, if he will, tell him he has something in the way of a solution. Uh, I, you know, I have actually gone to, gone to my uh, primary care physician and given him packets of uh, to the doctor. OA speaks to the doctor. I believe that's what it's called. And I left him my number and everything else and said, you know, if there's anybody that you 
treat that has a problem with food, please call me. You know, I haven't gotten one call, and that's many, many, many years ago. Um, but when I do go to the doctor, I let him know that I am an Overeaters Anonymous. I have maintained a normal body size for 24 years. Uh, you know, the miracle of that, I let them know. Uh, I think the medical profession doesn't really know a whole lot about us or what we do, and sometimes they see an example that's not a real good example. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind when I read this is that uh, I was one of the lucky ones who way back in the years uh, uh, treatment for, for uh, compulsive overeating, we, we called it food addiction sometimes back there, but um, my insurance paid for it. I was able to go into the hospital. Sometimes we just can't be separated from the food. We, your, man, your man may need hospitalization. You know, and today it's not as readily available for any of us. Uh, the cost is prohibitive. The insurance companies don't even want to pay, you know, I don't know, whatever. I won't even go there. That's an outside issue. But, um, uh, you know, it, we can offer our homes. You know, I, I, I have offered my home to somebody to come for a week, come for two weeks, you know, come here and detox. You can't go to the hospital, but I'll cook for you. I'll show you how to you know, weigh and measure your food. I'll show you how to go to the supermarket. Come here. Stay here. We'll go to meetings. You know, we'll read the big book. We'll listen to Vision for You. Um, nobody's taken me up on that. Uh, I think it takes a real serious person, somebody in the depths of their disease, you know, life and death, to take advantage of these things. But, um, again, I'm just so grateful to be here. Thanks for letting me share, and I'll pass. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Let the doctor, if he will, tell him he has something in the way of a solution, a solution. You know, and let's look at this historically. This is being printed in 1939. You know, Bill got sober in 1934. What was the solution in 1932, 1931, 1930? The solution was lock them up. They're a danger to themselves. They're a danger to their community. They're a danger to their family. The solution is lock them up. They're hopeless. They have a hopeless state of mind and body. There's nothing we can do. So Bill gets sober in 1934. He carries this message to Dr. Bob in, in June of 1935, and Bill and Bob get busy. They get busy working with others. And these doctors see that. They see that they've recovered. They see that they, they're not that they just got sober, but that they recovered. So in 1939, they're able to say, let the doctor tell them, because the doctors see that they are recovered. And the doctors are willing to refer their patients to this flailing group of alcoholics. And I want to go back to, that's 1939. So in 1944, in the back of the book in the medical view, Dr. Harry Teval, a psychiatrist, states, I now conceive the psychiatrist's job to be the task of breaking down the patient's inner resistance so that which is inside him will flower as under the activity of the AA program. So here we got 10 years after Bill got sober, five years after the big book was, was published, a psychiatrist said his main job, his main job is to prepare him for AA. His main job is to get this guy to understand he has a disease, refer them to AA, and he will recover. That's amazing. That's amazing. So what happens another 10 years later? In the forward to the second edition, 
which was published in 1955, while the internal difficulties of our adolescent period were being ironed out, public acceptance of AA grew by leaps and bounds. For this, there were two principal reasons, the large number of recoveries and reunited homes. These made their impressions everywhere. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered after some relapses, and among the remainder of those who stayed with AA showed improvement. So that means that there was a 75% recovery rate, 75% in 1965. So in 1939, when this book was published, they had 100 recovered people. In 1955, they had 6,000 groups whose membership is far above 150,000 recovered, recovered alcoholics. So that is the growth. That is why they can say, let the doctor tell him he has something in the way of a solution. Now, unfortunately, I cannot bring this to OA because OA is, does not have this type of recovery. OA does not have this type of history. OA does not have this type of credibility in the medical profession. My hope is that one day we can say this too. And the speaker put it so beautifully. How can we do this? How can we get this so the doctors will refer people to us for a solution? He said there's three different things we have to do. That's recover, recover, and recover. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, this is Amy. Amy, go ahead. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Usually families should have should not try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man to his family. Well, what is the reality of today? I mean, today, in most cases, I will be meeting someone in, in a meeting. I will, I will hear a newcomer in a meeting. I will see someone new walking into a meeting. As a recovered sponsor, my primary, you know, as a recovered compulsive overeater, my primary purpose in a meeting is to be ready to tell my story. To be, rel- to be looking for the newcomer. Because what is my job? It says here in the first paragraph of working with others, practical experience shows nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking or eating as intensive work with other alcoholics or compulsive overeaters. My job now is to not let a newcomer walk out that door of a meeting without talking to them, without being willing to hand them or buy them a big book, without sharing with them my story or on the line, on a phone line, to hear a newcomer, to take a phone number down, to be ready to share my story so that they can empathize and realize they are not alone, to take that path with me, to work with them, to say something to them, to someone who's been in the rooms for years and years, chronically slipping, not being able to grasp this program. My job is to be available, is to be ready to be able to go to those links like the other person was sharing on the line to say, how can I help you? Here's what happened to me. Here's how the program transformed my life. Here is what it did for me. And then present the solution that is dictated in the first 164 pages of this book to show them there is a way to give them hope. That's where we're going to meet them, and that's where we need to be available to tell our stories. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one time mute. No, this is Rachel. This is Janice. Rachel and then Janice, please. 
Uh, um, uh, hi, hello, my friends. Hi, Leah. Um, I wanted to share already and, and link this with how it said at the beginning of the the beginning of the chapter. It said that if if we try to help someone who is not ready, it may spoil a future opportunity. So, uh, and and this just strengthens it about how to work carefully. I like how Leah says it, how to reel a person in. So uh, I have quite a few people, friends in this town, whom I try to work with very devotedly when they were not ready. And I want to speak about the damage that it can cause. Because it says about it may spoil it. How can it spoil a future opportunity if you try to put the program in front of someone? If you work with them for six months, I'll tell you how it can spoil. This person thinks they've done OA and it doesn't work. I myself didn't know yet how it works. So there I am. I, I didn't have then what we have now through this conference call. And I, I, I tried to do my best. Until one person said to me one day, you know what you're doing, no other sponsor ever did with me, but I'll be, you know what, if I let this thing take over my life and I am going now on vacation. How she came back from the vacation and what is until this very day is a sad story. But but now I understand very well how it can spoil a future opportunity because this person thinks that she's tried away. And um, and that it doesn't work because she's gained plus the weight and plus. So this really teaches me, and I too can get very overzealous and and, and preach and God knows what with very good intention. And all these cautions are very well put there because for this person, especially that I spoke about, it definitely spoiled the future opportunity because she wasn't ready, but she has the illusion through my not correct work with her that she's tried and that this path is already has been tried and trodden by her and that it doesn't work. And I'm very sad about that and I'm very glad to listen so that the next round I'll do it a little bit wiser. God will help me do it a little wiser and not spoil future opportunities, but really to be very careful and let God do the work. Just present it and then leave it alone. See if the person is coming after it, not just try to give them the whole package when they're not ready. Thank you very much for listening. God bless. I pass. Thank you. And Janice, please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I'd like to take you on a little walk down memory lane, perhaps. You know, how how were you approached? How did you find out about this program of recovery? I can tell you, you know, that there was a time when everyone tried to offer me some way out, where people who loved me, people who cared about me, people who were interested in seeing me do better, tried to offer me yet another diet program, yet another pill or potion that I could take and they would get excited by it and perhaps they met someone that it had worked for. But here was something else. Here was something else. And in this big book, in this book of Alcoholics Anonymous was the road to recovery for me. It was the answer 
it was clear-cut directions. And I love that that's one of the things that they put in here. You might place this book where he can see it in the interval. You might place this book where he can see it. You know, because when someone like me, who had reached the end, saw this book, I might not even understand everything it says, but something in it might pique his interest like it piqued mine. Something in this book might speak to him like it spoke to me. You know, there might be an identification that takes place. But it says to not let the family tell your story because nobody can tell your story like you can. Nobody can go back into the dark past every dark cranny of the past and share it with someone like another compulsive overeater. And yes, I, I so agree. It's the message that has depth and weight. Someone who's been where I am now. And it's on the other side. There's nothing like hearing that. Because that's something you can look at and say, maybe if they could do it, I could do it. But it even says, don't, don't let the family or other people be overly anxious about it. Because can you imagine what these families must have been feeling when they actually have looked at their family member, their alcoholic, their compulsive overeater, and watched them go down and down and down, loving them all the while and seeing there was no way out for them. And here is a possible way out. Well, wouldn't they want to try to twist that person's arm and condole them and and get them to, to accept this because here might be a way out? But it, but it can't happen. Sometimes the message can't even be carried by someone in their own family who might be recovered. That was a great lesson for me. You know, sometimes I'm not the one to carry that message to my family member. Sometimes you can, but sometimes it needs to be someone else. And when that someone else does it, oh my gosh, what can happen? What can happen? So usually the family should not even try to tell your story. But if that person sees a copy of the big book and its interest is piqued, it might be the doorway to the conversation that you have with them. That newcomer might come in the meeting, might sit down, might not be understanding a whole lot of what was going on, but they might hear something that they can identify with. And they might not even be ready yet, but they might take the copy of the big book with them. You know, there, here was a way, thank God for this literature. Thank God for those who recovered and penned this book so that you and I can use this to our advantage when trying to approach someone. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Diane from New Hampshire. Go ahead, Diane. Good morning. Um, just have a little something to say. Um, a person who goes against his will is still of the same opinion still. And that's how I, I, my family wanted this for me for many, many years, my children, my husband, my brother. Um, they, they were in pain because they saw how I was in pain. They saw how how much bigger I was getting year after year. And I didn't want it. I didn't want it. And one of my daughters one time sat me eye to eye and said, Mama, we're going to lose you. 
We are going to lose you. And still, it wasn't enough for me to come back into the rooms of OA. I had been in there in the 80s, 90s, and um, I just came back this year because I wanted it, you know, because I saw what this disease was doing to me. It was killing me. And when I, when I came into the rooms of OA in this time, and I heard I had an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, I connected right away. I'd never heard that before in the rooms, you know. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, that is me. That is so true. That is me. And and I came in because my health was just, you know, I have a CPAP machine at night. I'm on many, many medications. And, um, you know, I my, my um, triglycerides were off the walls and off the, I mean, they were in the 300s. And because of this program, it is 82 today. I am so grateful for having walked through the, the doors of OA. And I'm grateful for the vision for you. But I couldn't do it. Um, I couldn't do it for somebody else. You know, I couldn't. And I know they were hurting. And I was hurting too, but I couldn't give up that food. And, um, and today, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a different person. Um, it has changed my life completely because I wanted it. I wanted it. And I, every day I get up thanking God that, you know, today, um, and please, God, help me not to eat today. Please, God, take my will and give me yours because my will really stinks. And I, I, need, I, I, I don't want to, I don't, you know, it wasn't for the vanity for me. You know, it was for the health. And um, today I know that, you know, every day, every day I'm getting better. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Diane. Anyone else like to comment before we move on? Okay, so let's move on to the next paragraph with Fran, please. Good morning. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. When your man is better, the doctor might, excuse me, <clears throat> might suggest a visit from you. Though you have talked with the family, Leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. And I pass. Thank you, Fran. Anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janet. This is Sarah. Can I share? Janice and then Sarah, please. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. All right, we're talking about somebody sort of coming out of the fog. Coming out of the fog. And perhaps this man needed hospitalization. And maybe you and I are trying on our own one more time to put down the food. And maybe the brain is starting to clear just a little bit. And and that can be a, a time of of great opportunity, great opportunity, because it says, you know, sometimes he's depressed. Well, I can tell you that happened to me. That happened to me. Trying it on my own one more time 
to get abstinent and stay abstinent, hanging on by my fingernails, hanging on by my fingernails. Having read the big book, beginning to see that there just might be something in there for me. You know, that was a beautiful, wonderful time for someone to reach in and grab me with their story, to tell me their story in that place where I needed something, I needed something more than just me because it was absolutely clear to me that on my own I had not been able to do this. I had been trying and trying and trying. And it was just me and her. As far as I was concerned, there could have been nobody else in the room because I was sitting there in the front row hanging on every word. You know, Harlan said it so wonderfully yesterday. If the person is willing, there's no stopping them. But if they're not, there's no convincing them either. But I was in that place. I was in that place where I wanted something to be different. And I didn't know what it was or how it was going to happen. But I could see someone in whom the problem had been solved. Standing in front of me, eyes shining, loudly and passionately and enthusiastically telling their story. And, and sharing with me some pretty, pretty horrific moments. And I'm sitting there listening, thinking, holy cow, I've been there. I've been there. I've done that. I know what they're talking about. Maybe this, maybe this is for me. You know, he may be more receptive when he's depressed. You know, when there are no more places to turn, when there's no more tricks to be pulled out of the hat, no more, there was nothing left in my bag of tricks. Nothing left. And that's, that's sometimes a place to strike when the iron is hot. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And Sarah, please. Hi, good morning. This is Sarah, compulsive overeater. Um, leave them out of the... Um, though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. No pressure. And... You know, this is an inside job. I know for me, when I came in, oh, my mother, I would just get looks from my immediate family, but my mother would tell me that I wouldn't get a job if I didn't lose weight. And if I couldn't control myself, and, and then nobody would hire me because they'd say that I couldn't control, if I can't control myself, I can't control anything in their business. And um, and I would just continue on wallowing in self-pity. <laughs> and... It was really until the pain, you know, like you say it all the time, until that pain of the despair and the pain of um, powerlessness, the real pain of powerlessness was my greatest convincer. And I know that if somebody, if my husband or my family or my, you know, my even my doctor or anybody would have said to me that I had to do this, that I had to do this, I wouldn't have done it. Because nobody likes to feel controlled. I didn't want to be controlled. I felt so controlled already that I didn't want to be controlled by other people. This is such an inside job. It's when a person knows and is convinced that there's no other way. There's no other way. And the pain is just too great. That is the greatest convincer. 
and <laughs> all the rah-rah and the cheerleading and all that um, excitement, and I'm guilty of it. I'm, I'm, I get excited about this program, and I do share it with others. And, I, you know, this is teaching me that I need to, you know, reel my mouth in. I need to hold back and just be a walking example and be something so attractive that other people who are suffering will see what I have and will want it too. And then from their inside will come to me and ask me how to do it. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on what we're doing? Hi, this is Amy. Hi, this is Amy. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a compulsive overeater. Well, I don't know about you all, but I didn't walk into my first OA meeting skipping with joy. I mean, my life was a disaster. I mean, talk about being depressed. You know, when we walk into these meetings, most of us have tried, I mean, over and over. And it says here in the chapter more about alcoholism at the end of the first paragraph, persistence of this illusion that we can control our eating may pursue it to the gates of insanity or death. I was insane when I walked into that room. I was depressed. I was at the end of the road. You know, page 24, we had two solutions. That was what I was left with, you know, to blot, to keep binging and purging my brains out or to pick up, well, let me read it. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. The other to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. What is this spiritual help? It's the 12 steps of this program. And that was what I was looking for. I was hoping. I, you know, I didn't want to come. You know, I wasn't willing to really admit anything, but I knew that I needed help. John Barleycorn, Sarah Lee was my best advocate, and that is how I walked into my first meeting, scared, afraid, but knowing I had no other tricks, like Janice was saying. There was nothing else left. And at that point... I was ready to hear the message. I was ready to hear someone's story. I was ready to hear and empathize and say, wait a minute, could this be for me as well? So I was receptive, and those are the types of people that we need to be looking for in the room that want to hear this message. You're right. We can't, they're so right. We can't force this on to people. We walk up to a newcomer, we share our story, we hand them a newcomer packet, we buy them a big book, but that's what we can do. We have to lay this kit of spiritual tools at their feet, but the choice is for them to pick it up. And if they are not willing, we turn and we look for the next person, the one who is willing, the one who wants to grasp this message, who feels there is no other way like I was when I walked into these rooms, when I was ready and I was receptive and depressed enough and dying enough from this disease to want to hear this message and be receptive. Those are the types. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Linda from Connecticut. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Hi, Linda, go ahead. Um, the thing that I've, good morning, um, the thing that uh, came to me after years of experience was shut up, Linda. And I don't mean that unkindly to me, but it was I, don't overwhelm a newcomer. Be, the, be kind and do a lot of listening, too, because timidly they're going to offer a little of this if I offer a little of that. And not to overwhelm. 
because they're scared to death. I know when I came in, I was shattered as the woman described, the woman before me described, I was shattered and shamed uh, and crawled in. And um, so it's, I've learned, uh, don't overwhelm. And I think uh, a newcomer's packet is wonderful. And just let them uh, absorb that it's safe, over and over, that it's safe. Oh, wait a minute, I can listen. It's safe. I can listen and be uh, friendly and not pushy. Thanks. Thank you very much. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It says, under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. Yeah, the pressure does not come from the sponsor. Uh, You know, the disease, the disease creates that pressure because pain will drive <clears throat> a compulsive overeater here. And if they leave, pain will drive him back one day if he's lucky, if he's lucky. So there's no need for me to exert any pressure. The disease does enough pressure. And you know what? If they're not feeling the pressure, then what does the big book say? You know, step into that nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try it more than once. Why? Because it's worth a bad case of jitters to understand your full knowledge of your condition. So it's not me, the sponsor, who's going to sit there and pound a bunch of you know information and pleading words into their skull. It is the pressure of the disease, the grip of the disease, tightening itself day by day by day by day around one around one's neck. You know, as as the as the compulsive overeater continues to try to throw things at it, intellect, self-knowledge, willpower, human aid, keep throwing things at the obsession of the mind, and the obsession of the mind cannot be conquered by any of those things. So I do not need to pressure that person. It says he will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Again, no one needs to gang up on this compulsive overeater. The disease will do the convincing. Call on him while he is still jittery. Why is that? Again, pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. He may become more receptive when depressed. You know, it's in that point um, when the walls of the defense mechanisms against all resistance come down. You know, we we who are recovered, we who are sponsors, we have absolutely no interest in personal recognition or power or personal success. But we have enormous interest in having influence. God uses recovered people. We just want to touch lives. So we are necessary. We are the agents. That's true. But we are not sufficient to bring about any change that makes a person be willing to throw themselves at this program. We can be a catalyst. But, you know, just take a look at this meeting. Perhaps there's over 120 people generally on every day's meeting. There are hundreds who listen. Do all of them recover? No. Why is that? They all listen to the same thing. They all listen to the same words. Because our words have to hit something. Our words have to touch a soul, an individual, 
to provoke a change, a response. And that has to come from within. That has to come from within a person's heart, within a person's soul. Not the ears on the side of their head, but their soul, the ears of their soul. So he may be more receptive when depressed, indeed, because those walls of defense mechanisms come down and a person perhaps in his own tears and his own uh, surrender sticks out his hand and says, help me. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? I'll take that as a no. Let's move on to the next paragraph. I'm sorry? Thank you, Leah. You're teaching me so much. I needed this, what you now said. I wish I had it in writing. Thank you. Thank you. Let's move on to the next paragraph now with Carol P., please. Thank you. See your man alone if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. But say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. Um, and I would like to just briefly share. Um, right here, it's just clear-cut directions, all these ifs. One if leads to another. Um, and here, just identifying with a person because so many things um, I know for myself with food, it was kept in secret, it was not spoken of. And just to have uh, somebody who could say you know, speak the things that I had done and thought was food, you know, I started connecting with them. I'm making that connection. Um, this person is understanding me like no one else could, and um, although could be from totally different lifestyles and many times that is the case. Um, but um, I like also, too, where it says, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. That's not what's happening here. Somebody would have... Uh, told me I had to go through all these steps and all this business, I would have said, well, have a nice day. Um, so right now it's just connecting with the person identifying. Um, and uh, for me, I had have seen people, you know, living proof right in front of me where I s see that there was a solution, that it was possible. But that was very important, too, um, because it is a program of attraction, not only physically, but, uh, you know, spiritually as well. Uh, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you. And we will certainly revisit this paragraph tomorrow morning, but we're out of time now. Thank you to everyone who has shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Penny E., are you available to read a vision for you? Yes, I am. Can you hear me, Leah? Yes. Okay, great. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. <clears throat> we realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. 
but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.